What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Mayalari. So today's episode is going to be a rundown of some news and some storylines across the world of sports today, starting off with Kevin Durant. Then I'll talk about Nick Saban getting a contract extension with Alabama. He's updating the contract he signed last year. And then I'll also talk about Albert Pujols, who continues to rake. And then I'll also mention the Los Angeles Angels in their owner, Artie Moreno, who actually is now exploring the opportunity to potentially sell the franchise. So I'll talk about that, and I'll also talk about the Red Sox and where they currently stand in the playoff standings. So to start off, Kevin Durant, star forward of the Brooklyn Nets, met with GM of the Brooklyn Nets, Sean Marks, owner Joe Sy, and also head coach Steve Nash in L.A. on Monday, and they all decided that Kevin Durant will remain a net. Durant originally requested the trade on June 30th, so almost about two months now, he requested the trade, and and it just didn't work out. The Nets didn't like an offer they were proposed for Durant, and at the end of the day, they have the right, obviously, to deny any offer for him. And he signed in August of 2021, August 6th of 2021, so about a year ago now, signed a four-year, $198 million contract extension to stay in Brooklyn for four extra years since he was on the last year of his deal when he signed that. And these four years now are all coming up. So he signed that extension and honestly set himself up to stay with the Brooklyn Nets for another four years. So it's really his own doing. And obviously he wasn't a big fan of what they were doing and the direction they were going in. And that's why he had the trade request. But at the end of the day, he took that back. So now the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant will move forward with Durant under contract for another four seasons. And if you look at the Nets roster, they honestly have a deep team. They have a good lineup. Kyrie Irving will be a net for at least one more year. He opted into the last year of his deal in his player option about a couple months ago now. Same timing as Durant's trade request, actually. So they're running it back in Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving, one more year. Kevin Durant, another four years left on his deal. And if you look at it, they have a very deep team. They're starting five. Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris coming off an injury. Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, and Nick Claxton. That's a really good starting five. Really good starting five. And you look at their bench, it's very deep too. Patty Mills, Seth Curry, Royce O'Neal. And the funny thing about the O'Neal trade is that Kevin Durant tweeted it's a Wings League around the time of his trade request. And immediately after he has his trade request, the Nets trade a first-round pick to the Utah Jazz for Royce O'Neal. So obviously they heard Durant and said, let's get him another wing, and they get O'Neal in a trade for a first-round pick with the Utah Jazz. And you look at another guy they have on their bench, Cam Thomas, reigning two-time Summer League MVP each of the last two summers. And then they also have former NBA bubble star in 2020, TJ Warren. And Warren, an interesting thing about him is how good he was in the bubble. In his first three bubble games, which I talked about this on one of my episodes during the start of NBA free agency when I mentioned them, so some of this information is from that. In his first three bubble games, he had the NBA world on notice. On notice. He averaged 39.7 points per game, shot 65.2% from the floor, averaged 3.3 assists, 2.3 blocks, 2 steals, and 5.7 rebounds a game in his first three bubble games. And you look at what he does with the ball, he's very careful, and he's a very good ball handler. He doesn't turn the ball over. He's very steady with the ball, and that's what you need on an offense, especially with a lot of guys that like having the ball, like Durant, like Kyrie. A lot of the time, they're going to try to force passes, try to force plays, since they want to be playmakers, like Ben Simmons, too. It's nice to have a guy on the team that is always looking for the safe play and the safe pass, and that's what Warren is. He was fourth in the NBA in the 2017-2018 season, 
in turnover percentage with a 6.7% turnover percentage, and then was sixth in the 2019-2020 season with a 7.2% turnover percentage. And that's per 100 plays. But one thing about him is his injuries. He hasn't played in an NBA game since December 29th of 2020. And that was of the 2020-2021 NBA season. He missed all of this last season, so the entire 2021-2022 NBA season with surgery on his left foot to heal a stress fracture. And then he missed 68 games, only playing four games in the 2020-2021 NBA season. So that was from his last NBA played game was December 29, 2020. So in that 2020-2021 NBA season, he only played four games. He missed 68 games that year. And then missed the entire following season this last year in the 2021-2022 NBA season. But if you look at what he's been able to do in his career, a career 15.5 point per game scorer, shooting 50.7% from the floor and 35.7% from three. So it's a very good pickup, very good pickup for that Brooklyn Nets bench. And their depth, obviously, as you can tell, is very deep too. But now, if you look at it, they only have 14 guys in their roster right now. And for a training camp, you can, you can hold a 20-man roster. So they're going to add at least six more guys, probably five to six more guys, to fill that 20-man training camp roster. But the thing with the Nets is, though, they really need to get things figured out in the playoffs. Kyrie Irving Kevin Durant in the playoffs only have six wins, seven losses, and only one series win. And that was against the Celtics in the 2021 NBA playoffs. They still have a lot to prove together. And if this is their last year, this is make or break for them. They have one more year to try to make something happen. After coming to Brooklyn in 2019, going to the Brooklyn Nets, teaming up, trying to form a super team, obviously get James Harden in the deal with the Houston Rockets. That was very short-lived. It didn't work out, obviously. And then they take Harden and trade him to the Philadelphia 76ers for Ben Simmons. And Ben Simmons didn't even play a game for the Nets last year. So it's really been a disaster for this Nets team in the Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant days. Since 2019, six playoff wins, seven playoff losses, and one playoff series win. So they have a lot to improve upon and a lot to prove this upcoming season as they were swept by the Celtics in the first round of the playoffs this past year. And that can't happen. You can't get swept. I mean, you can lose to that Celtics team, obviously, since they made the NBA Finals. They have a very good team. But if you have two superstars, or Kevin Durant's a superstar, and Kyrie Irving, I wouldn't consider him a superstar anymore. He's a very good player, though. He's a star. You have those two players... That high caliber of a duo, you can't get swept in the playoffs. You can't. Anyways, now I'm going to move on to Alabama football coach Nick Saban signed a new contract extension with Alabama to stay with them as head coach through the 2029 college football season. He will now make $10.7 million in year one of this new eight-year deal, and then it will go up by $400,000 per year. And at the last year of his deal, he'll be earning $12.7 million in the final year of his deal in 2029. So as I said, starts out at $10.7 million per year in year one of the deal. So $10.7 million his first year, and then it goes up by $400,000 per year until his last year, making $12.7 million in the 2029 Alabama football season. And one thing about Saban is he'll be 78 years old by the time this contract expires. But if you look at it, in this new eight-year deal, he now will have the highest annual average salary of $11.7 million. So he has an $11.7 million average annual salary. That's number one in all college football. He's now the highest paid head coach in college football in average salary. Georgia head coach Kirby Smart just won the national championship with Stetson Bennett, Lewis Seen, Jordan Davis. They had a great team this last year. George Pickens, obviously, too. Very good team for the Georgia Bulldogs squad. They re-signed him to a new extension, 
making $11.25 million per year in his 10-year deal with Georgia. But now Saban's getting $11.7 million. So Saban has the highest average annual salary of all college football coaches. And the funny thing about Saban is that he signed an eight-year, $84 million contract extension last year in 2021. But has now updated his contract after all the money that Kirby Smart got from Georgia, what Lincoln Riley got at USC, and then what Brian Kelly got to leave Notre Dame to be the head football coach at LSU. So he saw all those deals and obviously was upset with the money he was getting. I mean, he's still got a ton of money. That eight-year, $84 million contract extension he signed last year. It's still a lot of money, but now it upgrades. Now he's getting $10.7 million in year one, $12.7 million in the last year of his deal, and overall just got $93 million in his new extension. And to be exact, $93.6 million in his new eight-year deal. So clearly he wanted to be the highest paid football coach in average salary. Now he is. In Saban, you can't deny his greatness. In 15 years with Alabama, since taking over as head coach in January of 2007, Saban holds a 183-25 to record. 183-25 and 25 record. 183 wins and 25 losses with the 103-16 and 16 record in the SEC. 103 wins and 16 losses. 103-16. to 16. 103 wins to 16 losses in the division, in the conference, in the SEC. And to go along with, six national titles, eight SEC titles, so that's eight SEC championships, and a 15-6 and six bowl record with a 7-14 win percentage in those bowl games. So what he's been able to do at Alabama is nothing short of great. Every single year they're in it. And credit to him, he's a great football coach and a great recruiter. So obviously his new deal is definitely deserving. So now I'm going to finish out the episode with some news across the MLB. Albert Pujols continues to rake. Pujols had another home run last night, a solo shot. Actually won the Cardinals the game. It was the winning run since they only won the game one to nothing over the Chicago Cubs. And the Cubs have been playing good baseball as of late. And that one nothing win, all the credit goes to Pujols. He scored the only run of the game with that solo home run. Beating a Cubs team, as I said, that have been playing good baseball as of late. And Pujols is 42 years old. 42, he'll be 43 in January, but he's 42 years old right now. This will be his last season in the MLB. But he has a 277 batting average on the year with 14 home runs, 38 runs batted in, a 530 slugging percentage, which is actually his highest in a single season since 2011. His last season as a Cardinal in his first stint before going to the LA Angels. He has a 351 on base percentage this year. Once again, the highest since 2011 as well. And also has a 150 OPS+. plus. His highest... Since 2010. His highest in a season since 2010. And actually led the league in four to five years from 2006 to 2010 in OPS+. And this year is an OPS plus of 150. In his last 10 games, he started seven of those and then came off the bench in three of them. He's 17 of 31 at the plate with a 548 batting average, a 576 on base percentage, a 1.258 slugging percentage, so a 1258 slugging percentage, in 1834 OPS, 1.834 OPS. And even though that might sound crazy, I'm not wrong. That's legitimately his OPS over the last 10 games. 1.834 in 1834 OPS in his last 10 games. With 7 home runs, 14 runs batted in, and 8 runs scored. His batting average on August 6th, before he really heated up, was 228. His batting average today is 277. And since that August 6th game... He's hit 548 since that day on August 6th. 
Pujols has now hit a home run off 449 different pitches in his career, tying Barry Bonds to the record, according to Talk at Baseball, a tweet by them. And if you look at what he's done historically, 449 different pitches he's hit a home run off of, Jeff Bagwell and Vladimir Guerrero finished their careers with 449 total home runs. They finished their careers with 449 total home runs. And that's how many home runs Pujols has against different pitches. 449 different pitches he's hit a home run against. And in their career, they only had that much. 449 home runs, which is obviously a lot. But they had 449 total home runs. He's hit a home run of a 449 different pitches. And as a total, he has 693 home runs in his career. And as a career batting average of 297, with a 375 on base percentage over his career, a 543 slugging percentage, and a 918 OPS over his career, with a 145 OPS plus. First ballot Hall of Famer, it's not even close. And Pujols has been a big reason this St. Louis Cardinals team has been heating up. They are 20 and 7. Since the All-Star break, the Cardinals are 20 and 7, 20 wins, 7 losses since the All-Star break. They've won eight games in a row. And a big reason of that is Pujols obviously playing great. And then Jordan Montgomery, who they traded for in a trade with the New York Yankees at the trade deadline just about three weeks ago now, sending center field to Harrison Bay to New York for Jordan Montgomery. And he's been elite as a Cardinal. In four starts with St. Louis, Montgomery has a 4-0 record on the mound, four wins, with a .35 ERA, with only one earned run and 13 hits allowed. One earned run and 13 hits allowed in 25 and two-thirds innings pitched. With 24 strikeouts, three walks, a .623 whip. So, as I've said before, whip is walks and hits allowed per inning pitched. So that's less than one, almost half a base runner per inning allowed. .623 walks and hits per inning pitched. And you look at his ERA plus, a 1097 ERA plus with the St. Louis Cardinals. A 1097 ERA plus in four games with the Cardinals. And he's holding opposing batters to a 149 opponent batting average. Also holding opposing batters to a 187 opponent batting average. And then also holding opposing batters to a 184 opponent slugging percentage. So... He's been dominant, and there's no other way around. And obviously, it's a big loss to that Yankees team that have been struggling heavily as of late. The Yankees did beat the Mets yesterday, though, in the first game of the Subway Series at Yankee Stadium. 4-2 win for that Yankees team. And you look at what they did to Max Scherzer. Four earned runs, three strikeouts, and one walk, and six and two-thirds innings pitch with seven hits allowed. So obviously, they hit Scherzer around a little bit, the Yankees. In six and two-thirds innings pitch, they allowed four earned runs, seven hits, with one walk and only three strikeouts. And then you look at what the Yankees did on the mound. Domingo Herman was dominant for them, six and a third innings pitched, four hits allowed, one earned run, three strikeouts, no walks. Benintendi, two for three. Judge was two for four. Judge actually hit his 47th home run of the season last night, had a solo shot. And Benintendi had two RBIs. DJ LeMay, he was one for three. As for the Mets, Daniel Vogelback hit his 16th home run of the season off Domingo Herman. There was a two run shot. But besides that, the Mets didn't really have too much offense last night. Lindor was one for four with a single. Nimmo was one for four with a single. One for three with a single, that is. So Brandon Nimmo, one for three. And then Francisco Lindor, one for four. And then 
Pete Alonso was 0 for 4. So you need more out of those three guys right there. Stalin Mate was 0 for 4. So your top four guys in the lineup, Nemo, Mate, Lindor, Alonso, you need more out of those four guys. And obviously that didn't work out for them last night. But the Yankees, though, an impressive win, honestly, beating that Mets team. The Mets are the second or third best team in base. So I think right now it's Dodgers, Astros, Mets, in my opinion. And for the Yankees to beat them, it shows that obviously if they could just put things together and start a little bit of a win streak, they could turn things around. They actually denied Max Scherzer his 200th career win yesterday and handed him his career 100th loss instead. So now Scherzer actually holds a win-loss record of 199 wins and 100 losses. So he could have had 200 wins and 99 losses, but now obviously it's the reverse since they lost that game. But they will be playing tonight. Big game, obviously. Second game of that two-game Subway Series. So looking forward to seeing who wins that one. But now as for the St. Louis Cardinals, they've just been on the right track since trading for Jordan Montgomery. At the trade deadline, obviously, they were trying to get Juan Soto. Obviously, fell short of that. Didn't want to give up all the prospects to get him. But they made a silent deal trading Harrison Bader for Jordan Montgomery. And obviously, I wouldn't say it's silent because it's a, it's a good deal. And it got some, you know, publicity and, and talks about it. But it wasn't like, obviously, the Juan Soto trade, which stole the entire trade deadline. This deal went a little bit under the radar since it was right at the trade deadline. And Harrison Beta being traded when he was hurt, it didn't really get as much bite to it. Montgomery, obviously, being traded, that was a little bit of a surprise to most people. Definitely to me, too. But look at how dominant he's been. In four starts with St. Louis, 4-0 record, a .35 ERA with only one earned run and 13 hits allowed. And 25 and two-thirds innings pitched with 24 strikeouts or three walks. And then you look at what he did yesterday to the Cubs. Nine innings, shutting out the Cubs with nine innings pitched, seven strikeouts, one hit, no walks. He only allowed one base runner the entire game. Gave up one hit, had no walks, seven strikeouts in those nine innings. He only allowed one base runner yesterday. And he was one base runner, that means, away from a no-hitter and a perfect game. He was right there. One hit. One base runner away from a perfect game. So obviously the Yankees definitely feel bad about that deal now. So now I'm going to stay on the topic of baseball and talk about some big news that came out of Anaheim today. Los Angeles Angels owner Adi Moreno is exploring the possibility of actually potentially selling the franchise, according to reports from ESPN's Jeff Passan. And the reason why this is a big deal is because Moreno's owned the club now for 20 seasons. And ESPN's Jeff Passan broke down why this could be a monumental move a monumental sell for this Angels franchise. He said in a tweet that now opens the door, which he's right, for a Shohei Otani trade or a record-setting extension. And he also noted, with the enormous revenues that the Angels bring in, the Angels still have never had a payroll over $183 million, which if you get new owners, in my opinion, that's definitely going to change. You get a new owner, you can't not pay Shohei Otani the money he wants. Give him four years, $200 million. Give him $50 million a year. Why not? He's one of the best hitters and pitchers in the game. The modern-day Babe Ruth. The modern-day Babe Ruth. He can go nine innings on the mound and shut out the opponent and give up only one run across nine innings with ten strikeouts and one walk. And then he also can hit you two home runs in a game and hit 35, 40 home runs a season while also winning you 10 to 15 games in the mound. Shohei Otani is the most dynamic player in all of baseball. And then they also have Mike Trout, another dynamic player in the game of baseball. Two of the most dynamic and most valuable players in the game of baseball are on this Angels team. And they haven't been able to surround them with enough to win. 
And according to Jeff Passan, he believes it's a great move because now the most hands-on MLB owner would be gone. And he's right. Moreno got way too involved in the day-to-day operations of the club and also with the procedures of running the team. He was way too involved. And when he bought the team in 2003, he only bought it for $184 million. And he inherited a team that won the World Series in 2002, the year before he took over. So he inherited a very good team already for only $184 million. And they've never even had a payroll over $183 million. He bought the club for $184 million. And the Angels have never had a payroll over $183 million. So he bought it for $184 million. They haven't had a payroll over $183 million. And you look at what they're worth now. The Angels franchise is worth $2.2 billion now. The ninth most valuable franchise in all of the major leagues. But you look at what Moreno's done with this team. It's been disastrous. Nothing short of disastrous. The Angels have only made the playoffs six times in the 20 years with Moreno as the owner. They have one playoff berth in the last 13 years. The last time they won a playoff series was 2009. The last time they won a playoff series was 2009. And they only have one playoff berth in the last 13 years. Two of the most generational talents, the two of the most generational talents the game of baseball has ever seen, Mike Trout and Shoei Otani are on the same team. Two of the most dynamic, prolific, and dominant players in the game of baseball today are on the same team. And both of them have a chance of winning MVP every single year they suit up. And the Angels only hold a 52-70 and 70 record this year. 52 wins, 70 losses. 52-70 and 70 record on the year. And they also had a franchise record 14-game losing streak this year. They fired Joe Madden, their head coach, their manager, Joe Madden. They fired during that streak. It's been a disastrous season for this Angels team. Honestly, a disastrous last 13 to 14 years. They've only made the playoffs once in the last 13 years. And that's including this season because they'll probably not make it. 52-70 and 70 record. They're just about out already. So... If you look at it, one playoff berth in 13 seasons. Their last playoff series win was 2009. And as I said, they have two of the best players in the game of baseball. Every single time Mike Trout and Shohei Otani suit up, you have the chance of witnessing history, something you've never seen in the game of baseball before. Because how dominant and prolific and elite those two players are. And in Moreno's tenure, the Angels only made the playoffs six times in 20 years. Six times in 20 years. So I'm really just hoping they can find a new owner that's not afraid to spend money, that will spend $200, $205 million, just like the Mets and the Dodgers do, and try to compete and try to win. Because what they have around Shohei Otani and Mike Trout right now is abysmal. Abysmal. And you look at the money Otani's made in his MLB career, he only has a $5 million salary this year. $5.5 million salary this season. $5.5 million. $5,500,000 is his salary this year. And he only has one year left on his deal. One more season after this one ends. 2023, he'll be arbitration eligible for the 2023 season. And then he'll be a free agent in the 2024 free agency class. And he'll be getting $50 plus million a year. You look at what he does on the mound... Dominant. You can guys at the plate. Dominant. Was the MVP last year? Two-time All-Star now. Was Rookie of the Year in 2018. And what he did last year was unreal. Led the league in triples with eight. Had 46 home runs, 100 RBIs, 26 stolen bases. 
hit 257 with a 372 on base percentage, a 592 slugging percentage, and a 965 OPS. And you look at what he did on the mound, 92 record and 23 starts with a 3.18 ERA, giving up 46 earned runs in 130 in the third innings pitched, with 156 strikeouts in those 130 in third innings pitched, to 44 walks. He was dominant last year on the mound and at the plate. He deserves whatever money he gets. 50 plus million he should get. 45, 50 million. Whatever he gets, he'll deserve it. And Otani honestly knows his worth. He knows his worth. And obviously Moreno doesn't. Moreno didn't want to trade him at the trade deadline. But if you're not going to trade him, pay him then. Give him the money he deserves. If you're not going to trade a guy and get something for him when you only have one year left on your deal. So like the Washington Nationals did with Juan Soto, they offered him that... 15-year, $440 million contract extension, and he denied it. Once Washington knew they had no chance of keeping him, they said, all right, let's trade him with a couple years left of control and get a lot in return for him. And what the Angels could have done is trade Otani at the trade deadline, have a half a season left in this year, and then a full season next year. You could have got one and a half years of control, traded in Otani, and gotten a ton back in return. And I still think you should pay him. I would never trade Otani. It's a good decision not to trade him. So I agree with Moreno there. But you've got to pay him. If you're not going to pay him, what's the point in keeping him and not trading him then and getting something in return? And you look at what the Angels have. They have the ninth most valuable franchise in the MLB, money-wise, $2.2 billion. He bought it for $184 million, which is a bargain in 2003. And it's now worth $2.2 billion. And they've had some swings and misses in his tenure. They gave Anthony Rendon a seven-year, $245 million deal. And he's only played a handful of games over the last two years. In 2020, was his first year with the Angels. Finished 10th in the AL MVP voting. Had nine home runs, 31 runs batted in, and a two eighty six batting average. In 2019, though, with Washington, he was 29 in his final year with Washington. Won the World Series with them. Was third in MVP voting in the NL. With 34 home runs, 126 RBIs, which actually led the MLB. 44 doubles, which also led the MLB in a 319 batting average, a 412 on base percentage, a 598 slugging percentage, and a 1.010 OPS, a 1010 OPS, with a 157 OPS plus. So that's the reason he got all that money from that Angels team. Comes over and signs a seven year, $245 million deal. Seven years, $245 million. And his last two seasons, he only played 58 games in 2021. So he missed 104 games in 2021 and has only played 45 games this year. And that's all he's going to play since he's now out for the season. So he only played 103 games over the last two years. 103 games over the last two years he's played in. So out of a possible 324 games, 324 possible games played in the 2021 and 2022 seasons, he's only played 103 games out of 324 games. And I did the math on it. He only has played 31%, 31.7% of the Angels games in the 2021 and 2022 seasons. So in two years, his last two seasons, he's only played 31.8% of possible games played in the last two years. 31.79% games played in the last two seasons, 2021 and 2022. So obviously that's a whiff. That deal didn't work out. In another deal that didn't work out, they signed Justin Upton to a five-year contract extension. Five years, $106 million. 
in that five-year deal, which he signed in 2017. Five years, $106 million. And this season, they ended up cutting him at the beginning of the year. They released him. Heading into the final year of his $106 million five-year deal. And you look at what the Angels are still paying him. He's still getting his $28 million he was owed since they released him. So you're giving just enough to $27,473,000 to not be on your team right now. And you're also paying Anthony Rendon $36,571,000 to not play. So that's $36 million and $27 million between the two of those guys for neither one of those guys to contribute to your roster right now. So in total, that's $64 million between those two guys that you're paying this year. $64 million between the two of them for neither one of them to contribute at all. You got 45 games out of Anthony Rendon this year, and he wasn't having a great season in those 45 games. Hitting just 228 with five home runs and 24 runs batted in in those 45 games. And then for Justin Upton, he didn't even play a game for that Angels team this year. Didn't play one game. And is still getting $28 million on the payroll. And in 2021, he played 89 games with 17 home runs, which is pretty good in those 89 games played. 17 home runs, 41 runs batted in, hitting just 211 though for a batting average with a 296 on base percentage, a 409 slugging percentage, and a 705 OPS. Upton honestly hasn't had a good season though for that Angels team. And his last four years with the Angels, he only had one good season. It was 2018. He had 257 with 30 home runs and 85 runs batted in. 2019, only played 63 games with only 12 home runs and 40 runs batted in with a 215 batting average. 2020, played 42 games, so missed 18 games in that 2020 shortened season. Hitting just nine home runs in those 42 games with a 204 batting average in that 2020 season. And a 711 OPS. Then in 2021, 89 games played out of 162, so a little more than half of the season. With 17 home runs and 41 runs batted in. 17 home runs and 89 games played is pretty good. But the 211 batting average and the 296 on base percentage is what the issue was. And he also struck out 107 times in those 89 games. So obviously he was struggling at the end of his career with that Angels team. That's why they released him. But that doesn't mean they save money for releasing him. They don't. They're still paying him $27,473,000 this year in retained salaries. So they're still paying him $27 million since they retained that salary since they released him. So he's 15.28% of the payroll this year. And he didn't even contribute to one game for the Angels team. 15.28% of the payroll and did not play one game. Then you look at Anthony Rendon. He's 20.34% of that Angels payroll, getting $36,571,000 this year. Since he got a $571,000 signing bonus and has a $36 million base salary. $36,571,000 to only play 45 games. He's 20.34% of the Angels payroll. So in total, between Upton and Rendon, they make up 35.62% of the Angels' entire payroll for this season. 35.62%. And between the two of them, they only played in 45 games. 45 games for Rendon and zero games for Upton. So let that sink in for a second. 35.62%. So just about 36% of the Angels payroll only played 45 games played this year. And didn't contribute much at all. 
45 games between the two of them combined. 45 for Rendon and zero for Upton. So obviously, as you could tell, this franchise has been run very poorly. And it's about time they have new ownership. Only one playoff berth in the last 13 years. The last playoff series win they had was 2009. They made the playoffs only six times out of 20 years, considering this year they're not going to make it. So six out of 20 years, they made the playoffs with Moreno. Six times out of 20 seasons, they made the playoffs. And as I said, two of the most generational talents that the game of baseball has ever seen. Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. And still are struggling. And they had a franchise record 14-game losing streak this year. Fired manager Joe Madden, and things just did not get better. With Phil Nevins as the manager, things didn't get better. And now, with the potential to sell the team, this could open up the possibility of changing the Angels team name back to the Anaheim Angels rather than the Los Angeles Angels. They were known as the Anaheim Angels from 1997 to 2004. So right around the time that Moreno took over, they were still the Anaheim Angels. But he bought the team, changed the team name to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim as a way to strive for the Angels to be a Southern California team, which Southern California is actually the second largest media market in the MLB, according to Wikipedia. So Moreno saw Southern California as the second largest media market in the MLB and said, let's make this Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim as a way to try to make more money and try to bring this team as a Southern California team, despite still playing home games at Angel Stadium in Anaheim, they wanted to change the name to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim as a way to strive for the Angels to be a Southern California team so they're in the second largest media market in the MLB rather than just Orange County and try to make more money with bigger branding. And the history of it is they were the Anaheim Angels from 1997 to 2004. Then when Moreno took over, obviously, he wanted to change the team to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, which they held from 2005 to 2015. And then in 2015, they changed to the Los Angeles Angels and dropped the of Anaheim tag. So now they're just the Los Angeles Angels from 2015 slash 2016 to now the present day. So after dropping the Anaheim name, rather than the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, which they held from 2005 to 2015, they were just the Los Angeles Angels from 2015 slash 2016 to the present. Despite still playing home games at Angel Stadium in Anaheim, They are the Los Angeles Angels. So Art Moreno bought the team, changed the team name to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim to try to make more money, obviously, try to be in the MLB's second largest media market in Southern California rather than just being part of Orange County. And that's why I think there's a potential that whoever buys the team could change the team back to Anaheim, just be the Anaheim Angels since they're still playing in Anaheim. That's one thing that Moreno's adamant about was to be the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim when he first took over, and then now, in the last six years or so, be just the Los Angeles Angels without of Anaheim in it. So who knows? A new owner could change that. But there's a couple things the new owner could do. They could change the team name back to the Anaheim Angels. They could pay Shohei Otani a record-setting deal, or even trade him, depending on what they want to do. And also, hopefully, the new owner won't be as hands-on as Moreno. 20 years being hands-on did not work. Did not work. One playoff berth in the last 13 seasons. Their last playoff series win was 2009. 2009 was the last time they won a playoff series. And as I said, they've had Mike Trout on their Major League roster since 2011, when he was a rookie. And then also he was a rookie as well in 2012. 
So they've had Mike Trout on their roster since 2011 when he played 40 games. And every year after 2011, so 2012 to 2022, he was an all-star every single year. Except the 2020 season, there were no all-stars since their shortened season. So every single year from 2012 to 2022, every full season, he was an all-star. They had one of the best players in the game of baseball on their team every single year since 2011. And look at what Mike Trout's done. Three-time AL MVP. Was the runner-up in 2012, 2013, 2015, and also in 2018. So he was the MVP three times and was the runner-up four times. Was a runner-up for MVP his second year, first real year in the MLB was 2012 because 2011 only played 40 games at just 19 years old. And in those 40 games he played, hit five home runs and had a 220 batting average. So he struggled a little bit in his first year in the MLB. And he came up late in the season so he could hold his rookie status in the 2012 season. Then in 2012, at 20 years old, he had 30 home runs, had 83 RBIs with 49 stolen bases and 54 attempts. 49 stolen bases in 54 attempts. Only caught five times. Had a 326 batting average, a 399 on base percentage, and a 564 slugging percentage with a 963 OPS and a league-leading 168 OPS+. plus. A league-leading 168 OPS+. Plus. And that was at just 20 years old. And also led the league in runs scored with 129 runs. He was second in MVP in 2012 and was also Rookie of the Year in 2012. And you look at what he's done overall in his career, eight-time Silver Slugger, two-time All-Star Game MVP, three-time AL MVP, four-time runner-up, two AL MVP. Every single year Mike Trout plays, he has a chance of being the MVP. And he's always going to be a favorite every year he plays. And the Angels have done him dirty by not surrounding him with talent. Obviously, yes, they paid Justin Upton, and they paid Anthony Rendon. But you're not going to pay Shoei Otani? The guy that you know is dominant on both sides of the, of the game, pitching and hitting. He's a two-way player, dominant in both phases. A guy that's proven, and a guy that's proven to be a friend of Mike Trout's too. They love playing together. You wouldn't pay him? And you look at Mike Trout's done. Led the league in our base percentage in four straight seasons from 2016 to 2019. 441, 442, 460, and 438 on base percentages. In those four years from 2016 to 2019, led the league in OPS plus six times in his career. In his 12-year career, led the league in OPS plus six times, including five straight years he was the leader of the OPS plus category from 2015 to 2019. Five straight years, including a 198 OPS plus. A 198 OPS plus in 2018 when he had 39 home runs, and had a league-leading 122 walks, a 460 on base percentage, which was number one in the MLB, and a league-leading 1088 OPS. Led the league, actually, over that stretch that he had the best OPS plus in that five-year stretch from, from 2015 to 2019. Led the league in OPS four of those five years, including three straight years from 2017, 2018, to 2019. So 2017, 2019, led the league in OPS, led the league in our base percentage, and also was the MVP in that 2016 season. And, as I said, eight-time Silver Slugger, ten-time All-Star. So you're willing to pay him, which you have to pay Mike Trout. He signed through 2030, got a 12-year, $426 million deal 
with them. And he won't be a free agent until 2031. So he's with them probably for the rest of his career. But you're not going to pay Shoei Otani to give him the talent and the help around that he needs. The best player in the game of baseball for each of the last 12 years. It, every year he's played. Besides his rookie year, obviously, that first rookie year in 2011. So from 2012 to 2022. So those 11 years, he's been the best player in the game of baseball every year when he's healthy and playing. So I don't know how you can't surround him with more talent. It's just injustice not helping out Otani and Trout, two of the most prolific and dynamic players in the game of baseball. And you're only paying Shoei Otani $5.5 million this year. $5.5 million this year is what Shoei Otani is getting. And the next year, he's once again arbitration eligible for the 2023 season. And then after that, 2024, he will be an unrestricted free agent. Be free to sign anywhere. But even the biggest deal in all of baseball, the biggest steal of a deal in all of baseball, the greatest deal in the game, $5.5 million for Shohei Otani. And you're not willing to give him the money he deserves, the $50 million, whatever he's going to get, to keep him and Mike Trout together. You're not going to give him that money he deserves. So I think Moreno leaving will be a good thing for this franchise. And I'm hoping that Los Angeles Clippers owner, Steve Ballmer, takes over. I think that would be great. I think it'd be great for that Angels franchise. He turned around the Clippers franchise by getting Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, not being afraid to spend money. And he's a billionaire. He's one of the only people in the world that has over $100 billion as a net worth. And he's the only NBA owner that's even close to that. The second richest owner in the NBA is Daniel Gilbert, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers, worth $22 billion. And then Jody Allen, the Portland Trail Blazers owner, worth $20.3 billion. So no one's even close to Bauma's $100 billion net worth. No one's close. And if you look at the Wall Street Journal, there's only 10 people in the world with a net worth of $100 billion. And I know some websites have Bauma around $90 billion as a net worth or $85 billion. But regardless of what it is, he's not afraid to spend money. And that's the reason the Clippers have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And that's why they weren't afraid of sending all those first-round picks to Oklahoma City. He's not afraid of spending money to try to win. That's why I think he would be great for that Angels franchise. Going in there, giving Shohei Otani the money he wants, and then also building around Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and spending the same amount of money that the Mets and Dodgers spend and the Yankees spend every single year. You can't be afraid to spend money as an owner of a franchise like the Angels because you have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. You have to build around those guys and give them a chance to win. It's unfair to both those guys to not give them a chance to win a game in the playoffs and make a run for the World Series. It's unfair. They deserve better. They deserve better. Mike Charles only made the playoffs once, one time in his entire career. That's an absolute injustice to Mike Trout, and it's not his fault at all. It's because Moreno was too hands-on with that Angels franchise. He was too much into the daily operations of it, the day-to-day operations of it. He was too much in the middle of it. And either Steve Ballmer was in the middle of it, which he is a little hands-on with the Clippers, you know he's not afraid to spend money. You know he's not afraid to spend money. Whether it's $90 billion or $100 billion he's got a net worth of, he's not afraid to spend money. And if he bought this franchise, the Angels franchise, for $3 billion, like he bought the Clippers for $2 billion, he could have turned them around and spend money to help them try to win and build around Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and keep Otani in an Angels uniform for the rest of his career. 
which I'm not sure what Otani's contract's going to be. But let's say he got a 10-year deal, that could keep him in an Angels uniform for the rest of his career. And you look at what Steve Ballmer's has done with that Clippers team. Since buying the franchise in 2014 for a record $2 billion at the time, they've gone up $0.63 billion in valuation since he purchased the team, according to Sports Illustrated, and they're now the eighth most valuable franchise in the NBA, the Clippers. And right now the Angels are ninth. So the Clippers are eighth most valuable franchise in the NBA, and then the Angels are ninth most valuable franchise in the MLB. So he could help bring them up money-wise and how much they're worth, and then also spend money to help them try to win. He's one of the richest owners in the NBA. By far, he's the richest owner, and one of the richest people in all of America. So he has the money to spend to try to build that Angels team up from the ground and build around Shohei Otani and Mike Trout to help them try to win a World Series. Would you see what he did with this Clippers team? They have the deepest roster I've ever seen. The deepest roster in the NBA I've ever seen. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Reggie Jackson, John Wall, Norman Powell, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard, Amir Coffey, Avica Zubats. I could go on all day about this Clippers team and how deep they are. All day. And part of it is how good Steve Ballmer is an owner. He's not afraid to spend. So the Clippers front office can make a deal, make a big trade, sign a big contract with a player, and not be afraid. And I think that would help this Angels franchise to pay Otani the money he wants and then also build around him and not be afraid to spend in free agency like this Angels team has been afraid to do with Moreno as the owner. And as Jeff Passan pointed out, they only spent $183 million. That's the most they've ever spent on a payroll was the Angels spending $183 million. They've only spent $183 million. That was the highest payroll they've had in the franchise's 20 years with Moreno. And if Bama gets in there, they'd probably be spending $225 million. They would not be afraid to spend. But as for Moreno, on the other hand, they've never had a payroll over $183 million. And definitely with the new owner, that would not be the case. That would definitely change. And Bama would be a great owner, obviously, on the field and help them have a team that can compete for a World Series. But he's also great for the community, too. He renovated 350 basketball courts in Los Angeles. 350 basketball courts in the L.A. area. So that kids could have a place to play outside, new outdoor courts. Renovated all of them and wasn't afraid to spend money. And that's one thing he's really good at. Obviously, he can put a good team on the floor. But he can also keep a promise. A four-year promise of renovating all 350 outdoor pucks. And he did it. All the public basketball courts in LA that he pledged he would renovate, he did. All 350. And also had a $10 million donation as well. So his partnership with the Los Angeles Pucks Department in 2018 was successful. All 350 public basketball courts he said it renovate, he renovated. And now... So many kids and so many people have the opportunity to play basketball now in a nice renovated outdoor park that the Clippers and Steve Ballmer renovated. And what Ballmer said just a few months ago now was that the city of Los Angeles' population is almost 4 million people. 4 million people. And 98% of them now live within 2 miles of a Clippers community court. And what he said in that quote also was that means 3.9 million people have access to these courts and all the benefits that come with them. 
And he also noted, with our partners at the Los Angeles Parks Foundation and the LA's Department of Recreation and Parks, this is a proud achievement. So obviously, he can put a great team together and get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in LA on the same team. But he's also great for the community as well. So that's why I think he'd be great for the Angels franchise if they ever gave him the opportunity to try to buy it. And I think he'd be great if he ever was interested in buying that club. I think he'd be a great owner for that Angels team. And one thing about him, he wants to win. Steve Bonner wants to win. He wants the Clippers to win a championship. That's why he's not afraid to open the checkbook and spend whatever money it takes. So that's why I think he'd be great for that Angels team. Unlike Moreno, he would want to win. He would not only make the playoffs once in 13 years. He would spend the money for whatever it takes to compete and be competitive. And that's why I think the Angels would be a great fit for him. So now I'm going to talk about the Red Sox. They open up a three-game series at home against the Toronto Blue Jays tonight. The Red Sox are 3-10 and in 13 games this season against Toronto, being outscored 82-42 to in those 13 games. Obviously, that 28-5 game on July 22nd definitely didn't help that minus 40 run differential in those 13 games. But nevertheless, we're only 3-10 and against them regardless. So three wins, 10 losses in 13 games. So we haven't really had much success against them, even with that 28-5 game being a big outlier in the run differential record. But then you look at it, the Red Sox are 12-17 and in the second half of the year after the All-Star break. They had 9-10 in the month of August with a minus 20 run differential, 80 runs scored, 100 runs allowed. And after this three-game series with Toronto, the Red Sox faced Tampa Bay for a three-game series at Fenway before traveling to Minnesota for a three-game set in Minnesota against the Twins. So the Red Sox really have a chance now with nine games against the Blue Jays, Rays, and Twins all in a row to try to improve upon where they stand in the standings. And right now, obviously, it's not great. The Red Sox right now are six games out of the last wildcard spot with three teams ahead of them for that wildcard spot, that last wildcard spot, that third spot. And overall, in the whole wildcard standings, there's six teams ahead of them for those three wildcard spots in the AL. So in the American League, the Red Sox have a lot of ground to make up, but they have nine games coming up, nine straight games, three against Toronto, three against Tampa Bay, and then three against Minnesota at Minnesota to try to improve upon where they are in the standings. And where the Red Sox are right now, being six games out of the last wildcard spot, a lot of it has to do with where they've been playing and how they've been playing in the AL East. In their own division this year, which the Red Sox are 2-8 and eight in 10 games against Tampa Bay on the year, which they'll play them in a three-game set after this Toronto set. So this weekend, they'll be playing Tampa Bay for three games at Fenway. They're 2-8 and eight in 10 games with Tampa Bay on the year. But overall, in the AL East, in 48 games in the division, the Red Sox are 16-32, and 32, 16 wins, 32 losses in 48 games, with a 333 win percentage in those divisional games. That's the issue with this Red Sox team. The main issue, they cannot win games in the division. And this is a sport where if you can't win games in your division, you're not going to succeed, especially the AL East, this division in general. Where at one point, I know the Red Sox are under 500 right now, but at one point, all five teams were over 500. And that was a couple times. There was a couple stints where all five teams are over 500. The Red Sox right now is 60 and 62, so two games under 500. But there were a couple stretches where all five teams are over 500. So this is a sport and a division, especially where you cannot not win games in your division. You need to compete and win games in your division. You play your division 76 times this season. You play your, your divisional teams 19 times apiece for a total of 76 times. So you play your division 76 times, playing each of the four teams in your division 19 times. But the Red Sox right now, 
16 and 32, 16 wins, 32 losses in 48 games in the AL East with a 333 win percentage. So they've only won one third of the games in the AL East. That's a big reason the Red Sox have been struggling. And things aren't going to get easier for them. Things will not get easier for this Red Sox team. They should have 28 games left in the division out of their 40 remaining games. 28 games left in the AL East. 12 games out of the division with three against Minnesota, four against Texas, three against Kansas City, and two against Cincinnati. So the four against Texas, three against Kansas City, and two against Cincinnati, that's nine games right there against three teams that are not in the playoffs and really aren't competing for anything right now. So that's nine games right there. You have to win probably about seven or eight of those. But you have 28 games in the division left out of 40 remaining games. Nine games left against Tampa Bay, six games left against Toronto, seven games left against Baltimore, and six games left against the Yankees. And right now we are 60 and 62 on the year with six games out of that last American League wildcard spot. So the Red Sox have ground to make up. But as I said, nine games in a row now, three against Toronto, three against Tampa Bay, and three against Minnesota, where they can try to improve upon where they are in the standings. Because that's three teams right there that are all ahead of them in the American League. And then obviously with 28 games left in the division, the Red Sox have a lot of room and still have a chance to improve upon where they are in the playoff standings. Which I don't even think it's very likely to make the playoffs. I still think it's a long shot, but there's still a chance. 28 games left in the division out of 40 remaining games. Win 22 of those games or 20 of those games. Maybe go 20 and 8 in those games, which honestly would be a miracle, especially considering we've only won 16 games out of 48 games in the division. So winning 20 out of 28 is very unlikely. We have 16 and 32 and 48 division games. So my wish of being 20 and 8 in the last 28 games, very unlikely, but it would definitely help where the Red Sox are in the standings. With 40 games left in the season, the Red Sox probably got to go around like 32-8 and eight or 30-10 and 10 to have a shot to try to make the playoffs. But obviously, time will only tell. Anyways, that wraps up today's episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'll be back on again either today or tomorrow with another episode to break down me and the sports gurus' season preview for the NFL and where we think each team will stand in every division in the NFL. Anyways, thank you guys again for listening to this. I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.